Good morning. Today's reading from God's Word is in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, If you'd like to read with me in your Bibles, you can find it on page 750. If you picked one up at the back there. But if your hands are too cold, um, it's also on the screens behind me. So, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. May God bless this reading of his word to us today. Please, if you can keep your Bibles open to that passage, that would be great. We're going to do a short series on John, um, so the birth of Jesus according to John, which is actually very different um, from other Gospels. But as we come to this text, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great thanks um, that you are God who wants to have a relationship with us. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, in human form, that we may see him and we may touch him, and we, uh, that he is part of uh, the history. And we thank you that that desire for relationship, relationship continues even today. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, that you will make these words come alive. Help us to meet you. Help us to see who you are a bit more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me see if this nifty thing works. Ah, oh, there we go. Um, well, Professor Stephen Hawking says that we shouldn't ask what was there before the universe. I can't pretend to be an expert in, on any level, in quantum physics or um, theory of relativity, but I think I know what he means. I think what he's saying is that there shouldn't, a time should not be the measuring stick because there was no time before the universe. Time is a dimension of the universe. It was something that was created with the universe. And so it doesn't make sense to ask what was there before the universe. Well, that's clever, but I mean, I still think there is a question, it still begs the question, how did the universe begin I know I can't ask what was there before in time, but how did the universe come out? How did something come out of nothing? And I think there is a scientific explanation um, for the origin of the universe. One science journalist explains it this way. The best answer we have at this point is that the universe emerged spontaneously from a random quantum fluctuation in some sort of primordial quantum vacuum the scientific equivalent of nothing. However, this quantum vacuum is very loaded nothing. It assumes the whole machinery of the quantum field theory and the modern description of how elementary particles of the matter interact with one another. That was already in operation. Well, I think what he's saying is at the quantum realm, even the lowest um, energy state in this vacuum, even when you say there was nothing, really, there was something. There was the mechanisms of quantum field theory. Um, 
the, 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 there, there can't be really nothing because science still has to explain, well, how did something come from nothing? And the, the way that they do that, they have to use scientific language about what we know about the universe. And Hawking and others uh, want to say that there was this nothing. But it ends up saying something was there. Something always existed because it cannot ultimately, science cannot ultimately explain how something comes from nothing. So it says that there was, in effect, there was no beginning, that it had always existed. In fact, actually, a lot of scientists believe that the universe sort of expands and contracts and expands and contracts, that there is infinite number of these universes and it just goes back to infinity. It will go uh, to infinity. That it had no beginning. Well, I think all of that seems silly to me. John says that there was a beginning, that there was a start to the universe. He writes, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the word was with God and that God, uh, the word was God. John says that there was a creator, and it was Logos. He created everything, and he says, without him, nothing was made that has ever been made. It's as if John has these scientists in mind. It's as if he's saying that you really need an explanation that's outside of science in order to explain the existence of the universe. You need a creator. In the next couple of weeks, we are going to go through... um, John's version of Christmas, and it lacks all the familiar stories of Christmas. The visit, the visit of the Magi, or the shepherds in the field, the story of Mary and Joseph. And this is because John's not interested in those stories per se, but what it means, what those stories mean. And often when we speak of Christmas and the story of Jesus, we begin that story with a baby in a manger. That's what Christmas is about, baby in the manger. But you see, John is saying, in order to get to the beginning of Jesus' story, in order to see the significance of what that birth actually means, we have to go beyond Bethlehem. We have to go beyond the angels. We have to go beyond Israel. We have to go beyond this earth. We have to go beyond uh, what we know about the universe. In the beginning was the Word. And that Word was with God, and He was God. So that baby that lied in that manger 2,000 years ago wasn't just a baby. He is God made incarnate. The mystery that created the whole universe that we can't explain yet. Um, we can't explain. It, 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 he became a child. We no longer have to guess what was at the beginning because he, God, the, the word was there. And we no longer have to guess what that, what that is, because that word, the, the reason why John chooses word, well, there are many different reasons, but one reason is because it's God made intelligible. God spoke, God came, and God had a relationship with us, so we don't have to guess as to what was at the beginning. That word became a human being. God became incarnate in Jesus. And then John then goes on to explain why. Because that is the big question, isn't it? If God became a human being, why did he become a human being? What's the reason for his coming? And this is good news. He goes on to say that he is life. He gives us life. John introduces that concept of life in verse 4. 
in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And that word life, he will use 35 more times in his gospel. Life, the concept of life is very important to John. I think, uh, but, but what does it mean that in him was life? Well, I think first, it means that there was, uh, that God, Jesus is the creator, that he gives life to the whole universe. And secondly, and more importantly, in him was life means that he gives us eternal life. And this is how Jesus will speak of life again and again in the Gospel of John. Think about the most famous verse, John 3.16. He died so that you might have eternal life. He will, he will say to the Samaritan woman in verse 4, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John uh, 6, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him uh, who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 6, he says he gives us his flesh so that we might have eternal life. He goes on again and again and again in the gospel that he will give us eternal life. In him is life. Everlasting life. Christmas is a happy time for most of us, um, but it is, I think, also a sad time for some of us. The festivities remind us of uh, the past and of uh, uh, the, the time that we enjoyed with friends and family. And it reminds us, it might, have, uh, it might remind us of the people who have uh, passed away, our mothers or fathers or our friends. And loneliness is a serious problem over Christmas. The suicide rate goes, spikes up right before Christmas and after Christmas in, in the U.S. I know... And I know that we are pushed to believe that death is just part, natural part of life. But the Bible says it isn't. Death is an unnatural intrusion to this world. Death is the fruit of living in ignorance and rebellion against God. Paul writes that the wage of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Death entered because we have sinned and rebelled against God. And the sadness that we feel when things pass away, our pets die, or our plants, or friends, or family around us, even as we face our own mortality, there is sadness. And this thing is not, we know in our guts that this isn't natural. When somebody dear to us dies, we instinctively think this should not be. This relationship that we, ha we had, this should not end in this way. We know that. And the Bible says this was not meant to be. That is, this is an experience of the fallen world and the world that is under curse. And the good news is that Jesus, God, doesn't, God didn't leave us in this state. He sent Christ and in him is life. Jesus will later visit his friend Lazarus. Remember, he declares, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And to show that he has the authority to give life, he will call out Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And at his command, Lazarus comes out with his hands and feet still bound, wrapped in linens of clothes. And not only did he raise people in his lifetime, he also dies. And he will come back to life. And may I say, 
the, the narrative of a resurrection story is not a survival narrative. It's not of, of a man who went through this terrible thing. It's a narrative of this man dying and coming back with a new kind of existence that the world had not seen. It's the beginning of the new creation, the first fruit of the things to come. That's what the resurrection is about. And it looks forward to this day when there will be no more death. And because of this resurrection, we know that we will be united in Christ with those who have passed away. We will see them again. The pain and the anguish that we feel as we lose our loved ones will not have the final say. The death, death will not have the final say because of Jesus. And I know that for those of you who might not go to church and for, for whom, you know, Christianity is something that you sort of think about time to time, this might sound like a fairy tale. But may I challenge you not to dismiss it, but really look into it. You know, I meet a lot of people who say that they're agnostic. People who say, oh, I can't, we can't really decide what was there and what was not. And, but I feel that most people have not earned the stripes to be an agnostic. They haven't done the search. So if you haven't yet done the search... There's a lot of historical uh, evidence for the resurrection. Look into it. See what's, uh, see what's in this tale. Because life and death is at stake, and it is worth exploring. And thirdly, in him was life, I think means that he gives us meaning to this present life as well. For example, Jesus, once again, will say, John 10.10, 10, I've come to give uh, so that you may have life and have it to the full, abundant life. He means that our life, the present life, will be transformed by knowing him. And that's why I think he mixes the light metaphor with the life here. Life was the light of all mankind, it says. He lights up our life to tell us what it means, what this life means for us. And again, he will say in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That you will have the light of life as you come to know Jesus. We no longer have to be blind in this world. We no longer have to just come up with reason for living. We can now see what life is about through Christ. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is uh, perhaps one of the greatest preachers of last generation, previous generation. He was a brilliant doctor uh, who, who went to medical school at age 16. By the time he was 25, he had an established practice on, um, on Harley Street, London, which is the most prestigious um, section in, in the medical field in, 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 in England. But one of the events that made Lloyd-Jones go from being a doctor to a preacher was what happened to his mentor, somebody that he looked up to. One day, this mentor, this consultant came, who had achieved everything that Lloyd-Jones was trying to achieve, knocked at his door. He had been in love with a woman, but suddenly she died, and he didn't know what to do. He came into Lloyd-Jones' office. There was a fire going, he stared at this fire for two hours, did not have a word to say. And this is what Lloyd-Jones writes in his autobiography. He says, as I watched my hero, my role model, staring into the fire, I realized that he had no answers to the important, life's important questions. He had no answers. 
to the life's important questions. And we can go on pretending we know what we're doing, make up our own ways of living this life. But do we really have the life's important uh, answers to the life's important questions? And if there is someone who made us, who created us, who knows what we are for, how we ought to live in this world, who author of life, wouldn't we want to listen to him? Wouldn't we want to find out how he wants us to live? And that's what John is getting at. In him was life. And that life was light of all mankind. Come to him. Receive this life and find out what life means. And Jesus comes to give us that life. But it's not, uh, he, he comes to a world that is not receptive to him. And he continues to say, go on in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. I was talking to a friend who told me that her favorite time of the year is Christmas, especially in the UK, when the streets are lit up brightly and candles. You know, I mean, it's a, if you go to Carnaby Street in, in London, it's just a really, really beautiful place um, right now. It's beautifully decorated, and there's almost a magical quality to the Christmas time. Joy, as, and as joyous as Christmas time actually is, it's not without its darkness. And actually, the Bible would never... The Bible is grim in its reality, in its description of, the Christ, uh, of Christmas. For example, think about how Jesus was born. Luke tells us of how Mary and Joseph didn't have a comfortable place to give birth to Jesus. Can you imagine the desperation of this young couple as they're looking just for a place to sleep overnight, and as the water breaks... In this strange city, they have to give birth to a, in a barn. Matthew pictures Jesus' birth with the grim, uh, grim death of many other babies. Soon after Jesus' death, Herod orders babies two years and younger to be killed. Christmas narrative is fixed, uh, filled with the reality of sin and the fallen world. And John, too, with this grandiose narrative of the creation and universe, calls Jesus the light, but reminds us that he shines in the darkness. Indeed, the good news of Christmas is wrapped up in the reality of this brutal world. The world um, itself is still dark. We only need to uh, read the headlines in newspapers to be reminded of that each day. And that darkness isn't just external. It's actually internal to us as well. Jesus will later on to, uh, will speak uh, to Nicodemus. He will say, this is the verdict. The light has come into this world, but men loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. There is part of us that loves darkness. That is part of us that doesn't want to be exposed of our sins. So we hide in the darkness and we avoid the light. Um, maybe you've heard of the celebrated um, uh, American athlete, Jesse Owens, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. In 1936 Olympics, before the World War II, uh, he became famous for, uh, for winning four gold medals in um, 
Berlin Olympics. He won the 100 meters, 200 meters, long jump, and the 4 by 100 meters. He was the most successful athlete at the time. And he's, he was credited with single-handedly crushing Hit, uh, Hitler's myth of Aryan supremacy. Hitler really staged this Olympics to showcase the Aryan supremacy. And, and Jesse Owens came and won four gold medals. And there's this clip on YouTube you can see of Hitler just being mad and storming out of the, uh, of, uh, of the stadium and refusing to shake uh, the, uh, Jesse Owens' hand. Um, and after the Olympics, he returned uh, to the U.S. as a hero. And the city of Atlanta held a, a banquet in his honor. He was presented with an award um, by the civic leaders. But then this happened. Right after he was presented with this award, he was sent out of the room. Because this, the civic leaders didn't want to break the social convention of not eating with a black man. I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? The guest of honor being shunned from the very banquet for which he came. We're outraged by this when we hear of, hear of this. But that actually, this is what happens all the time. God came, and we reject him. On the Christmas day 2,000 years ago, the word became flesh. The light came into this world and shone in darkness. But despite of him, uh, uh, despite, uh, despite uh, God uh, entering our world, um, the world that, uh, that he created, we, rebe- we continue to rebel against him. But this is the thing. Jesus didn't go away because he didn't receive his welcome. Despite all odds, he grew up in wisdom and in stature. Despite all opposition, he lives a sinless and perfect life. He embodies justice and embodies love. And then he goes willingly to the cross to pay for our sins, to be ransomed for our sins. He will be scourged, beaten, and nailed on the cross, and he will be killed. And then there will be that slight moment when darkness celebrated his death. But then Jesus rose again. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So in this Christmas season, as you think about the baby Jesus, as you come if, um, to, to lay that baby in the nativity scene on Christmas Day, think not just about that baby, but think of the whole creation and the whole universe. The Jesus being the creator of the whole universe. And as you imagine this baby breathing, Think about the life that you have. Think about the eternal life that he's given you. Think about the meaning of life that is in Christ Jesus. And don't reject him. If you don't yet know him, I pray that you will search for him. In this Christmas season, you will make the effort to investigate. And welcome him. Get to know him as your creator. And as as your Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the light that you have given us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that even as we stumble in the darkness, 
not knowing how to live, mired in our sin, under your wrath, that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you that he shone brightly, and we thank you that he continues to shine. And we pray that in this Christmas season, that we will remember who you are, and we will remember what you have done for us, and the life that you have given us, that we may do the right thing in worshiping you, and in in celebrating what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.